Take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you would, this morning. Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing in a series on the one another's in the New Testament, how we should treat each other. Now, the good news for those of you who are here for the first time is each of these uh, sermons kind of stands alone. So you're not, you know, 10, 10 lessons into a series and you're like, I'm never going to catch up in one time. You, you'll, you'll be able to get something this morning uh, that will hopefully, through God's word, speak right to your heart and, uh, and help you and connect with you. And so uh, we're just, the nice thing about these, they're kind of like one, one sermon at a time. Even though they all interconnect, uh, you'll, you'll have plenty from this morning, I believe. This morning we pick up with the series at, at a phrase we don't use very much. In fact, some of your Bible translations will say something like forbearing with one another. When's the last time you looked at someone and said, you know, I'm just, I just want God to help me forbear with you, <laughs> right? But others of your translations will say something like bearing with one another, which again is something we don't say. But the concept, we live all the time. Only we, we say it in ways that aren't quite how God would say it. We say things like, um, I'm just going to hang in there with you. Or I'm going to put up with you. Right? I know none of you have ever said that to your spouse. And while those kind of get close to the idea this morning, they don't really get all the way there. And so I hope as we study God's word, it will encourage us and uh, teach us and change us, right? Because it's alive and powerful. There's actually two key passages that relate to this idea, two key sections in God's word. One is in Ephesians 4. You say, I thought you said Colossians 3. Don't turn to Ephesians 4. Here's Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Paul says, under inspiration of God, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, here's our phrase, bearing with one another, don't miss those last two words, in love. That's why the whole series, loving one another, it all fits together. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So bearing with one another is going to be a huge deal when it comes to uh, people living together in unity and peace. You say, yeah, we've got a world just full of unity and peace, don't we? And I've got a family just full of unity and peace, don't we? And I've got a marriage that's nothing but unity and peace. You say, yeah, we, I was laughing with the Millers this morning. Where's Simeon? He's back there. Uh, and they came in and they were all in the hallway at the same time, Simeon and Christina and Miles. And they were all wearing teal, the whole crew. And I said, man, you guys are like the teal family this morning. And they all, they all looked at each other like, we did that, didn't we? Right? I mean, if you didn't know them, you'd be like, wow, this family is really unified. And they were like, we just happened to grab the same color this morning. But central to maintaining unity and peace is this idea of bearing with one another. Why do we need this concept? This is a very famous painting. Anybody know who this painting is by? Norman Rockwell, right? This is often called the Thanksgiving picture painting. It's actually freedom from want is the actual name of the painting. And this is like picture perfect Thanksgiving. Right? How many of you have actually experienced this? Right? Somebody's like, My, what happened? that's great. It's good. For the whole meal? Like the whole day? <laughs> wow. 
High and Lois might have gotten it a little better. She says, life doesn't always imitate art. And he says, you're right, this is nothing like the Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> we only have one little guy, but he looks like the little girl in this picture in the top corner, right? Clapping and food is going and the one guy hit his sister with a roll and the other guy's on his phone whistling a tune and, and dad can't figure out the electric knife that he uses twice a year, right? Why? Because the ideal is really very different from reality, isn't it? We've got a young couple that's going to get married in a few months, right? And then they're going to have their honeymoon, and for a little while, it's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> and then it's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Isn't that life? You're like, man, all those things I loved about you, that is irritating the fire out of me. That's true in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. You ever get a new job and you're like, this is the job? And then you're like, uh, two months later, you're like, I'm searching for another one. There's still people at this job and there's still problems at this job. In fact, it's very funny if you, if you Google the idea of ideal church. Do you know what comes up? <laughs> there isn't, right? Are you crazy? You know what comes up? Buildings. Now, if you Google church fights, you get all kinds of stuff. Why? Because church is not ideal either. A community of believers and a community of Christians is a wonderful thing. But it's not perfect. It has problems. I was counting in the lead up to this uh, message today. I counted that since Easter, when the, the church kind of took this big step we have been together for 106 days. We are still in, whoa. <laughs> and at some point we're going to be in, whoa. Why? Because we're people. We're human. And we need to learn how to bear with one another. So really, as you're in Colossians 3, the text that we're coming to today it drives this point home. Look at verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. You know what those five verses tell us? If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, had your sins forgiven, there's a, there's a miraculous thing that's happened to you. In connection with Christ, you have died, you have been buried, and you have been resurrected to live in a different way, and your actual life exists with Christ in heaven. Now, I can't even in my human mind wrap myself around exactly how that works. But it's true. And so because we know Christ as our Savior, life is supposed to be different. We're supposed to live in a new way. We're supposed to abandon an old way of living. So verse 5 says, what do we abandon? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Let me give you that slide. There you go. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. And I'm not going to preach on this paragraph, but there's some things that ought to be abandoned in this new way of living. And then there's some things we're supposed to adopt or put on. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What a great and amazing thing for God to say about us. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's our phrase, bearing with one another. And if, and we could probably say when, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If you connect Ephesians 4 and this passage in Colossians, we could say this. In order for the church to stay unified and healthy, in order for God's people, the community of Christians, to stay in that state, we must learn to live in a new way. Enduring the pain, small or great, that we cause each other. That we will inevitably cause each other. You say, why? Because together we experience self-inflicted pain. It's part of being part of the body. Have you ever caused yourself self-inflicted pain? You, you ever, like, uh, like, gouged yourself with your own fingernail on accident? Right? And you're like, nobody else even did that to me. I just did that to myself. You know, sometimes we can feel like when Christian people come together, it's just safe. And all the danger and threat is outside somewhere. But the reality is that we experience self-inflicted pain together. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. The idea there of having a complaint is to find fault with another person. How many of you have found fault with somebody else? Anybody discovered ways that other people have a problem? I do. I'm really good at it. You ever drive home from church or drive somewhere and go, man, that family, yeah, they have problems. The, the best part is, in my pride, I know how to fix them, right? So then you have a discussion about how you could fix other people's problems. And finding fault takes on all kinds of forms and shapes, doesn't it? Right? In Mark chapter 7, verse 2, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were pointing their finger at Jesus' disciples and saying, you guys have a problem because you didn't wash your hands before you ate. And you're, you're, you're spiritually unclean. You have a big spiritual problem because you didn't wash your hands. They were, they were finding fault. In a small or even a contrived, a made-up way. But sometimes finding fault is real and legitimate, isn't it? I mean, if, if I sat down with your spouse or you sat down with my spouse and said, can, can you tell me the real things, the real problems that the other spouse has? My spouse could make a list. And she'd be right. And yours could too. And you know, above all of us, God can make a list. And his list is perfect and right and ugly. All our righteousness, the Bible says, is just like filthy towels. So fault is a part of life. What does it look like among people? 
In some cases, together we deal with the pain of small irritations. We act in a way that grates against each other, don't we? When I got married, one of the reasons that I was drawn to my wife, because I, if you get to know me at all, I'm a very like, emotionally even person. I don't feel a ton of things. Um, like When I go to a, a serious life and death situation where someone has a terminal illness, um, th- someone that I love and care about, I break down uncontrollably because these emotions flood my body and I don't know what to do with them. And some of you who are more emotionally skilled can, can hold on to your emotions a little bit or temper them or I, can't, I have nothing. So it's like all or nothing. I'm just, I'm deadpan or I'm like, I'm a mess. And so one of the things I loved about my wife is that she's very emotional and responsive and, and, and warm and affectionate. And I mean, I was just like, wow, look at this world. This is awesome. So we got married. No, that's not the only reason. <laughs> and then within the first few weeks of marriage, I learned that that emotional responsiveness was actually a part of all of her life. And so she would drop a fork in the kitchen and she would like kind of scream a little. To which my life like reacted as a husband and I was afraid for us. <laughs> I was like, Colleen, Colleen. And she'd be like, oh, I just dropped a fork. So, I, so I'd sit back down. <laughs> But inside, I get irritated. I start to get upset. Why? Because we irritate each other. It's part of life. We've been a pastoral team together now for about a year. We're learning each other. When I met Danny uh, for the first time in person about a year, a year and a half ago, I said, I can kind of be a bull in the china shop sometime. And he's like, I really haven't seen that. He's so gentle and kind. <laughs> and if you ask him today, he'd be like, I've seen that. <laughs> In a moment or two, it's actually bothered me. <laughs> and Kevin has his quirks, and Daniel has his quirks, and I have my quirks, and you have your quirks. And, and we grate against each other. We cause each other pain. Sometimes we hurt each other. Often this is unintended. I so appreciated Greg mowed the lawn on Saturday, and, and I, he goes, I was going to sign up again, but the list is full. I was like, awesome. So he mowed the lawn. Right? Imagine Greg comes out here, it's like 95 degrees and, and sun's beating down. He mows the whole lawn and so thankful. And he's standing in the lobby today. And somebody walks in and they say, hey, I noticed we missed a spot on the lawn. And Gre- Greg might be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it might really hurt him. Even though that person didn't intend it that way. We can hurt each other. We can ignore somebody's service or comment about a mistake they've made. We can be insensitive or thoughtless during a time of real suffering, and it can hurt. We can joke about something that isn't actually funny. Have you ever done that? Tried to break the ice, tried to make the mood lighter, and then realized that was real bad. Because the other person just deflated. We hurt each other. And even among Christian people, and this is no different than anybody else, we sin against each other. We can lie, cheat, steal, get angry, act in pride, be mean, be jealous. We can even commit immorality. In the church, there's abuse. It happens. That's why the Bible says, if any has a complaint against another. 
And the new way of living that God prescribes is a lot different than the old way. Because what's our instinct? We kind of put them into two categories, fight or flight. When we're hurt or when there's pain. We're tempted to just dismiss it. Some of you are good at this. Hey, it's no big deal. Just dismiss it. Some of us are tempted to expose it just to talk to other people about it because it feels better if we tell them how, how much we've been hurt by somebody. It's not necessary. It doesn't help, but we share it. And sometimes we abandoned the painful situation altogether. Right? And this is the old way of living to respond, verse 8 says, in anger and wrath and malice and slander and even obscene talk. But the new way of living is a way of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It bears with one another. It forgives one another. And for those of you who are problem solvers, the solution isn't to fix other people. Some of you thought that too when you got married. I'll just fix them. No, God's way is to bear with one another and to forgive and to press on together. How does that work? How does that happen? Well, I want us all to take a minute when we talk about this idea of bearing together to marvel. And I'll tell you that while I can't unpack this to any level which it probably should be, when you really let your heart meditate on God's putting up with you, God's patient endurance with you, God's kindness and, and covering of your sins and your hurts, it's pretty amazing stuff. Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 3. I want to show this to you. Romans chapter 3. And again, I'm not going to do this justice, so I would greatly encourage you to, to take this home and chew on it yourself. Marveling at perfect endurance. God's endurance. What is the time? Does somebody have the time? 20 after. Okay. So our clock's just off an hour. Okay. I got worried there for a sec. I'm counting on that thing. Whew. Romans chapter 3. What does this look like? Now don't get lost in the depth of the verses I'm about to read, but look for the uh, bearing with, the forbearance part of these verses. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all who believe, the idea is, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, the Father, put forward as a propitiation or a satisfying payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Here's our bearing with, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what happened, and I don't know that I can totally explain this to the depth that it ought to be explained. The first sin in the world was committed by whom? I saw an Adam and I saw an Eve. We're in the ballpark, right? Adam and Eve, they disobey God's rules and they sinned against him. 
At that moment, how far away was Jesus from coming? Thousands of years. Do you know what the verse we just read is telling us? That beginning at that moment, God the Father waited. And he waited, 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 and he waited while people sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned. And that's not to say that God never brought judgment on the sin. But I'll tell you, he did a lot more waiting than judging. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited until Jesus came. Think about that. A holy, righteous God bearing with sinful people who want to build towers and shake their fist at God. Who want to persecute his people. His own people won't listen to him. He sends prophets and they ignore them. And he waits. And he patiently endures until Jesus came. But look at Romans chapter 2 verse 4 because it goes beyond that. (coughs) Just back a chapter because this isn't just about God the Father enduring historically. But look at chapter 2 verse 4. Now we're, this book is written after Jesus came and died and rose again. Let's start in verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, those who sin. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, here's our word, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? God has not only patiently endured historically, he's also patiently endured personally. How long has God waited for you? How much has he put up with in you? I doubt that many of us came to trust Jesus as our Savior and start our personal relationship with him the first time we heard about him. And I doubt that first time happened before we had sinned plenty. And yet God waits patiently. And he bears with us patiently. And do you know what that verse says? That verse says we ought not take that for granted. See, you may be sitting here this morning and God is waiting for you. And he's waited and he's waited, and he's waited, and you think, I can just test him, and he'll wait for me forever. Don't take for granted the patience of God. He endures for you. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 41. By the way, there is a Bible in the pew in front, or in the pew, I'm so used to saying that, in the chair in front of you. If you need one, 
And I didn't grab all these page numbers, but, and I know I'm making you turn a bit this morning. But Luke chapter 9, verse 41. In this process of waiting, do you ever get fed up? You ever get fed up with your kids? With your spouse? With others around you? With coworkers? There's actually a very interesting moment in these verses. And it, and it teaches us that frustration is not always sin. Interesting thought. Look at Luke 9, verse 37. And on that day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Imagine the grief of this dad. Verse 40. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and... Bear with you. Bring your son here. Jesus had been with his disciples for a period of time at this point. But can you hear his frustration with them? This is something you should be able to do by now. But by prayer and fasting, you ought to be able to do this. In a sense, he says, what's your problem? And he says it in a somewhat frustrated way. But look at what he says. Oh, you faithless and twisted generation. Jesus endured with the growth of his disciples. He endured their unbelieving hearts. And he endured their corrupt lives. Aren't you thankful that God does that with you? Because we can look at the disciples and go, why haven't they figured it out? But can I ask who among us is so faith-filled you don't have moments like this? That you can pray, God answers. You come up against hard situations, you don't doubt. You don't fear. You don't get discouraged. You're just, you're just so filled with faith all the time. Anybody in that boat? I'm not. And then he says, twisted, you, you pervert things. Don't we do this all the time with God's creation, with God's good gifts? We take them and make them their own gods. It's camping season, so therefore God's creation is the most important thing in my life, even more important than God himself, and we take something good and we twist it. I just want to do a good job at my job, so I become so committed to my job, which is work is a good thing, a gift from God. I become so committed to that that I twist it and make it more important than God. Oh, I love my family so much. So it's family above everything else, ultimately even above God and what he wants me to do. Don't we do this? And though we don't have time to fully dive into this, do you think, ever think about how much the Holy Spirit endures with you? The Bible says we're not supposed to quench the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to to rebel against him, to refuse to do what he says. We're not supposed to grieve him. We're not supposed to ignore him. And don't we do it all the time? I mean, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple 
They're the, the, they're the living place of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a temple. We don't need a place that is extra special and spiritual, right? The, the, the gathering of Christians is God's church, and our bodies are where he lives and dwells. There's nothing that makes this building extra special. It's a building that houses God's people. 1 Corinthians 6, that, that's us. But can I ask you something? If you were God, would you pick you to live in? We went to Bear Lake State Park this past week. And we spent a day on the beach. The challenge was that our campsite was kind of around the lake. And it was what was called a primitive campsite. Doesn't that sound great? Primitive. You know what that means? It did have running water, so it wasn't awfully primitive. And vault toilets. That gets more primitive. The end. <laughs> That's what we had. Now, if you are a rustic, backpack-loving, body odor-not-minding, <laughs> greasy hair, okay-with person, <laughs> then you may be able to stay there for a while. But we have one more need on that list. Anybody know what that need is? Shower. Now we knew that one of the other campsites had a shower and because we were staying at the primitive site, we could go to this other site to get a shower. But we were on the beach and we were next to a bathroom that had a shower. But it was a public beach shower. Yippee. And so we finished our day and Colleen goes, maybe we can just use these showers. I'm like, okay. So I go to look in the shower with, I, and I've got to take my son and we've got, the goal is to get clean and come out clean. That's the challenge really with the public beach shower. And I open the door and I walk in and I go, oh buddy. Because it's a public beach shower. And do you know, as I thought about the Holy Spirit living inside of this human being from the glory of heaven, do you know what he puts up with? I mean, I don't even think I can get there. And yet he faithfully teaches me God's word. He convicts me. When I squash him, he comes back and convicts me again. And he keeps, do you think about that? God is enduring with you. Patiently, lovingly, time and time and time again. So when he says to us, Bear with one another. It's in light of his long-term, deep commitment to us. So can we embrace enduring together? What does that look like? Well, let me just hit a few of the highlights. Because it's not just putting up with each other. It actually goes way beyond that. There's a few different words that the Bible uses for this idea of bearing with one another. And they have some neat pictures. The first is this. In love, 
A person who's bearing with another chooses to cover. This is a really great picture. It's actually the picture of like a thatched roof or a deck covering. If you've ever had a deck pre, what's the good stuff now that you never have to stain or treat or, right? That stuff's awesome. But if you've ever had one before that, right? You put up an awning because of the sun and the rain, and then you stain or you treat or you paint or you, and have you noticed how you do it over and over and over again to protect the deck? The picture is that when we bear with one another, we're actually covering stuff to protect the other person. Isn't that beautiful? That, that when my wife sins against me or I sin against her, she actually bears with me and forgives me and puts up with me. And she doesn't come to church and go, hey, Matt is preaching this morning. Can I talk to some of you about Matt? Because I think there are some things you need to know. And frankly, the list is kind of long. And I think it'll help you as he preaches to know that he's human and just to, to not feel like he thinks he's holier than you. Or, Aren't you glad? I'm very glad she doesn't do that. She covers. Don't we do this with our kids? People ask us, how's Timothy? Oh, he's great. I tell people he's 80% happy and 20% furious. So maybe I'm not fully covering. But he... But I don't go, yeah, oh man, today we went through this and this and this and at 10.30 did this and at noon he did this and at, why don't I do that? Because I love him. And so I cover. Now hear me clearly. We should never cover abuse. We should never cover immorality. We should never cover things that will cause others harm. There are things that need to be exposed, and the Bible's very clear about that. The church has gotten into some really bad places by covering things. But as our pattern of life among each other, it's actually a godly skill that we learn to bear with each other. It covers. This is actually the word that's used in 1 Corinthians 13, that love bears all things. It covers. Does it make you think of a verse in Proverbs? Love covers a multitude of sins. What else does it mean to endure together? It means that it's okay to let go of a just response. In Ephesians 6, God tells masters, masters, forbear threatening. You could use the tactic of threatening your employees to get them to do stuff. But as a Christian boss, don't do that. Pass over that action that you could take. Bearing means we don't always do the things that we could do, that are just to do. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, For though I may desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, I hold back, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And finally, bearing is willing to suffer. You know, this is the dominant term here. When we talk about bearing with one another, it's actually um, a personal middle voice idea of being willing to put on ourselves a burden. I see Jesus carrying his cross. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his and follow me. Are we, are we willing to do that together? To actually take things on ourselves and bear them even though other people have hurt us? It's okay. I'm willing to carry that. It's the idea of shouldering. I was so thankful a couple weeks ago for the teens that came with Plant Camp One and helped us get the pews and chairs out. But I'll tell you something. You can't see, but way in the back of the truck, there is a person. That person is me. Because had I been carrying pews, you would have seen a sad display of weakness. Because, because I'm weak. There's no good, I can explain it a bunch of ways, it's just lame. I'm weak. And I actually went to pick up one of these pews and haul it out, and I needed to get a pair of gloves first because I almost hurt my wimpy hands. And then I carried it like to the base of the truck and I was like, done. But there was a group of guys that went pew after pew, and most of them were teenagers, thankfully, and like stack after stack, and they hauled all those out of here so that you and I didn't have to. Aren't you thankful for that? They shouldered a burden. That is what it means to bear with one another. What motivates us to do this? Go to 1 Peter and we'll be done. What motivates us to bear with one another? Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. It's actually a book on hard stuff, on suffering. We bear with each other because we love each other. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We do it because we love each other. And then just turn back one page there, 1 Peter chapter 2. We do it because we can trust God with the end results. You say, but I got hurt, I got irritated, I got sinned against. Yep. And God will take care of it. You don't have to. It says of Jesus, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Can we do that? Can we bear with one another and say, God's got it. He's the judge. I'm willing to forgive you, but even if, it doesn't, even if forgiveness and restoration, is ne- if full restoration is never possible, I can bear with you. Because I know the one who will make it all right in the end. And I love you. These are two famous athletes. One's actually racing today. One is probably going to be competing in the next month or so. Anybody know who the athlete on, the, on your left is? Anybody know? Anybody heard of CrossFit? Have you heard of CrossFit? That's Matt Frazier. He's probably the most famous CrossFit athlete. He's won the CrossFit Games the last two or three years. On the right is a guy named Chris Froome. You've probably never heard of him either. Unless you're a, bike, a cyclist, Chris Froome is riding in the Tour de France. That's why he has a yellow jersey on. That's actually happening right now. But these two athletes crack me up. I like to bike ride, although I look nothing like that. <laughs> the CrossFit guy is like 
He's huge. If you go to the gym, you've seen people like this. He's huge. But he has chicken legs. And so the CrossFitters actually had, they like to pride themselves on being the fittest people on earth. Only if you watch the CrossFit games, whoa, almost fell. It's like, uh, almost, I almost proved I wasn't the fittest person on earth. If you watch the CrossFit games, you'll actually see little to no cardiovascular, like, endurance running. Jonathan Griggs ran a race yesterday, a 16-mile race uh, in Park City from 7,000 feet to 10,000 feet and back down. Crossfitters, no, no go. So, so they actually had a mountain biking competition as part of their CrossFit games last year, and they were so proud of themselves. And they were like, we're doing mountain bikes, only it was flat. And it was for like four miles. And they were so proud of themselves. And there were like three logs that they had to figure out how to get around. And they were like, we are the greatest athletes on earth. It was pretty funny. One of them didn't even know how to shift. So he rode the entire race in the same gear. <laughs> and then there's the cyclists. They're going to ride about 2,000 miles this month in 20 days. Including some days where they're going to ride three or four mountain peaks in one day. And so they're going to ride like a hundred horrible miles and get back on the bike tomorrow and ride a hundred more at world-class speeds. But if you put that barbell on Chris Froome, you might break him in half. He weighs about 125 pounds and none of it is in his arms, like none. And so I've said to my wife, like, man, those guys can ride. She's like, I hope you never look like that. But you've seen these people at the gym, haven't you? I fear that as a church, and as Christians, and maybe in your marriage, in your family, this idea of bearing with other people is a place where we have chicken legs or scrawny arms. Because when it starts to hurt, we want to run, we want to broadcast, we want to find a way out. When God says to us, shoulder that burden patiently walk that road because I have. And by my grace, you can too. God, you have been so good to us, so patient, enduring, kind. Christ was so enduring and patient and your spirit it is mind-blowing that you continue to live in us and work in us day in and day out and lord you've called us into our marriages and our families and into our gatherings together as christians and we pray that you would build the muscle in us that we would put on bearing with one another even when it hurts and is unjust even when it goes deep even when it takes grace for every day just to continue would you help us not to abandon each other not to expose everything that's going on with each other not to dismiss it as if it doesn't matter but would you give us grace to endure in Jesus' name we pray.